Hello and welcome to the Money Mitch Effect Sports Podcast that I'm sure you're familiar with by now. My name is Mitch Michaels. Thank you for joining me. I'm the host of this show. It's Wednesday, September 19th. Got a pair of guests to talk about some great, great sports developments. First up, Brandon Marcus, host of the Mostly Banner Podcast, which you can find on all streaming devices where podcasts are streamed. We're going to talk about NFL Week 2. It was an interesting one. Ryan Fitzpatrick and Patrick Mahomes remain the standard bearer for quarterbacks in the NFL. Who would have thought we'd break that down? We talked about the Jaguars beating the Patriots, the Browns-Saints game that was marred by field goal kicking. So was the tie in Green Bay and Minnesota. And who looks good and who looks poor through two weeks of football? A lot to discuss with Brandon Marcus and then Joe Crisali, and buddy who moved up to Seattle. Still talking hockey. We have to break down the Eric Carlson trade from Ottawa to San Jose. Some other moves. We might even workshop a trade in there as well. This is a good hockey discussion. This preseason has already started. Joe Crisali, but first up, Brandon Marcus here now on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, back again on the Money Mitch Effect to talk week two NFL football. Host of the Mostly Banner Podcast, friend of mine, Brandon Marcus. Brandon, thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. What's going on? Well, it's time to talk football, which you know, we dabble in a lot of different sports. And the NFL is, is quite the beast. There's a lot of ways you can spin what happened in week two. But I want to start with this. A 102 quarterback rating on average for the league on Sunday, and I think including Monday, that's the highest of all time. So that, we does, had, that shouldn't surprise you, though. That but, shouldn't surprise you. So I, I, I'm... I was going to get to that. Like, I'm not fully surprised. I get it's it's always surprising to hear a record broken and to think that there have been that many weeks of, of pro football, and this is the best week in, week of quarterback we've ever seen. But yeah, in a way, you're not that surprised. And I guess I'll leave it to you with this question: What do you think the the main reason is? More depth of the position, or just friendlier rules? I guess the to keep the quarterbacks upright and the receivers not being that, hit too much. That's it. That's it. it has nothing to do with. Uh with these quarterbacks in the depth has to do with the rules. I mean, Clay Matthews tackles a quarterback with his head to the left and then he tackles him with his shoulder and that's called a personal foul. I mean, they're doing literally everything possible right now to protect the quarterback and protect the wide receiver. I mean, this game has completely changed from one that was a smash mouth type football to now that's completely open. I mean, you have guys like Patrick Mahomes that are threatening to throw 10 touchdowns in a game. I mean, he throws six touchdowns, and at some point you thought maybe he could get to seven or eight because that's how good they were. And when you have guys like Tyreek Hill and you have these speed guys and you have the defenders that have to give five yards to these receivers, I mean, talent's going to end up coming up mm-hmm. with some great plays, and that's what's happening right now in the NFL. I'm going to slightly, I'm going to very, very slightly disagree. I do think there is more depth than there has been in recent memory. I think that is contributing to but it Ryan a little Fitzpatrick's bit. But Ryan Fitzpatrick's always been in the league. I mean, he's always... He hasn't played this good, though, and I don't, uh, think he, I don't think it's fair to him to say it's just the rules. Like, this uh, is kind of insane. I mean, it, it probably isn't sustainable, but be that as it may, Mahomes is coming up. You have some younger quarterbacks, and I think the receiver rules as well is what doesn't get... Uh, enough talking about you can't really go low anymore that's a personal foul and, and going high is a personal foul so when you get these plays you brought up the Chiefs like Kelsey just streaking down the field yeah. I mean where do you hit him when he just gets off the line and is wide open so that's the point 
I don't know, man. I, I think I think it's it's tough to play defense in this league. I get some personal fouls, but what Clay Matthews did, as you said, was just ridiculous that that's a penalty now. Um, it's going to be tough to play, to, to rush the passer and know what that line is. I wonder where it trends if we just don't let the quarterbacks get hit at all, like punters and field goal kickers. I, I don't know. But the NFL this week had some interesting finishes, and, and I guess we can start with that Green Bay-Minnesota game. Another tie, too in two weeks in the season a tie that minnesota was both maybe fortunate and kind of de- and upset that they ended up with because they had to rally late but ultimately brandon had the game won, bad kicking another theme of this week cost them in the overtime yeah it's unfortunate that these games are coming down to these kickers that just can't make field goals and for minnesota you thought early on that they would end up being the team that could come away with a win. I mean, you're facing an Aaron Rodgers hobbled guy. I mean, you don't know what you're going to get from him. And then all of a sudden, Green Bay punches them in the mouth pretty early. Minnesota fights back. And then, like you said, they got to come back and force OT. And all of a sudden, now you have overtime where anything can happen. You don't want to face Aaron Rodgers. And I think they got to count themselves lucky that they faced Aaron Rodgers and got away with a tie in overtime. Because whenever you see a guy like number 12 on their sideline in overtime, you think that your chances are probably not great. I think you kind of do know, right, what you're going to get out of Aaron Rodgers for the most part. Not when he, yeah, not when he's hobbled, though. I mean, this guy, <laughs> there, there were he was playing with possibly a sprained MCL or something like that and something torn, but it doesn't matter with I this. I know. I hear you, but, yeah, with one guy in the league, it doesn't quite matter. Yeah. Uh, it showed me a little bit about Cousins. I mean, he had to make those plays down the stretch, so I think you got to feel a little positive. I know it's not, look, you tie, it sucks. You would rather win, obviously. But I think part of the problem with these overtime rules, Brandon, they took five minutes off the clock with the with the thinking being they're going to get more desperate, they're going to try to be more aggressive, and that hasn't happened. And I think it hasn't happened for one reason. As bad as a tie is, it's not a loss, and a loss is going to cost these coaches their jobs. So at the end of the day, as much as tying sucks, they'd rather not lose, and I think that's part of the issue with why we're going to probably see a few more ties before this year's over or going into the future unless the rules change. Yeah, that's a good point, but at the same time, if you look at these overtime games that we had in the last several years, not many were decided in that 10 to 15 minute mark. I mean, it was normally decided pretty early on. Obviously, they changed the rules where the first team that scores, if it was a field goal, then the other team got a chance to get the ball. So the overtime has definitely changed a bunch over the last couple of years. But it still surprises me that in these types of games where we just talked about the rules, that you're not able to drive down the field quicker and get points whether it be a field goal or a touchdown and the other team get a field goal or a touchdown as well i mean it does surprise me that these are not ending quicker and that they are ending in ties um it's i don't know what to make of it though but it's very possible we can go the final 15 weeks without a tie yeah i mean i think the over under is usually one tie a year and we've already hit two so yeah know. it's one and a half one and a half we already have two Incredible. Um, the Packers make it through two games in the division, 1-0-1, not the worst-case scenario given who they've had to play. And with this division, so much deeper than it's been. The Bears and Seahawks, it's funny, we were talking about how I'm more of a, of a college gambler and not a pro gambler at all when it comes to football. But one thing that I wish I would have sucked true was uh, the read I had on this Bears-Seahawks Monday night game because even with Seattle even with Seattle coming into this game as an underdog that, teams were, that people were kind of liking – I have a theory in, in all football, and it's the one strength versus weakness. If your best thing is going up against the other team's worst thing, that usually means you're going to win regardless of what else is going on. 
and that was that Bears pass rush versus that putrid Seattle offensive line. I feel like if you have a bad line against the Bears, it doesn't really matter what you do on either side of the ball. They are just going to swarm you with Khalil Mack and, and a few others, and then I don't know how unless you have a line that can do something to stop them you have any chance against Chicago. There's so much to take away from that game. I mean, if, focusing on both teams, I mean, we can do both of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think based on what you're saying about the Bears and the Seahawks in terms of the read you had, I actually thought that Seahawks plus three was one of the better bets of the week because mm-hmm. home dog, you have Seattle at home. I get they're not as good as they used to be, um, but still, it's a team in Seattle that should be better than they are right now and a team in Chicago that still has Mitch Trubisky as their quarterback. Right. The- better than he was supposed to be no I, doubt about that and he's definitely improved yeah i and just want to i just want to it was in chicago i would have never was picked, it really yeah i would have never picked <laughs> the bears if they I had to go to it was seattle. seattle okay no, well it was in there it was and i'm not i hate to correct you but i just wanted to point no, out i would never have picked seattle or picked against seattle with this young quarterback and in seattle with i'm glad i could have sworn it was in seattle but focusing on the bears isn't it funny how that we didn't talk a ton about Khalil Mack and the national picture until this trade, and now all of a sudden the guy's making enormous plays every single game? Yeah, it's crazy, and it's it's who he is, and it's who he's been his whole career. I'm not just talking professional. They, they did a feature on ESPN how he was a two-star recruit, how he went to Buffalo, how, as an Ohio State fan, as you know, Brandon, I saw Khalil Mack's coming out party firsthand. Ohio State was playing Buffalo, and you heard about this guy, Khalil Mack. You're like, okay, how good can he be? Ohio State had three linemen on that on that offensive line that went to the NFL, and he destroyed every single one of them, had a pick six at, at Ohio State. I mean, this is a guy that continually is the best player on the field. So I know we haven't been talking about him, but at a certain point, you just got to admit it's our fault as, as fans. Like, this guy is a top five probably player in this league, regardless of position. Definitely, and it helps that they're in prime time. I mean, they're getting a chance to play in games in front of a national audience, and they played against the Packers, and obviously Mac was great against them, and now they're playing against Seattle, and Mac had the forced fumble, so he's doing things to get people to talk about him. And obviously the Raiders are suffering without him, but that's changed their defense completely. I mean, the Bears had a good defense before, but adding Mac has completely changed it. And we've seen in previous years that if you have a good defense – and you have an offense that can just manage the clock and get points and be methodical about their drives, it's a recipe for success. It is. And it's funny how it's flipped. First off, being the Seahawks are just not a threat at all anymore, which is kind of crazy given how deep we thought they were five years ago. But if I look at, and I know it's funny, and we're going to jump to conclusions after two weeks, but if you look at the NFC and, and maybe try to forecast a potential playoff picture, you got to think that, the East and the West aren't really that deep or don't appear to be that deep. But the NFC South, always the case, looks pretty deep, even more deep than most years. And this NFC North, Brandon, I mean, they are very, very tough with the Bears being a potential third team that can make a run at the playoffs. I know Trubisky is young and has proven that he can make mistakes in addition to some good plays. But the Bears with that defense, if they get something out of Trubisky this year, why couldn't they make a push for the playoffs? Yeah, absolutely. It's in a it's a interesting thing with the NFC because every single year it seems like teams are just completely flipping from last to first or first to last. I mean, the East is always a complete cluster. The North, we've seen the Packers and the Vikings over the last couple of years be the main teams. The South, you never know. Is it going to be Atlanta? Is it going to be Carolina? Is it going to be New Orleans? And now, of course, the one team I don't mention is the team in first place right now with Tampa at 2-0. and 
Um, I think the Rams are the clear front runner in the NFC West. But to your point, I mean, when you have a division in the NFC North that is so competitive, you have to take advantage of games out of conference. And so far, the Bears doing what they did against Seattle is a good start. Let's talk about that team. Out of division, I mean. Uh, yeah, no, no, I understand. And I want to talk about the team in the South that, <laughs> that nobody mentioned before the season started, Tampa Bay. Uh, me, personally, dead wrong about them. Thought they'd be one of the worst teams in the league. Same. Yeah, same. They beat, in back-to-back weeks, the New Orleans Saints and the Philadelphia Eagles. So not exactly slouches to get to that 2-0 and start. They beat the defending Super Bowl champs at home 27-21. to Fitzpatrick goes for 400 yards and four touchdowns. Another dominant week. I got us. I know we talked about Fitzpatrick in the beginning, how he's been in the league forever, and this is clearly his best start. They did it without a running game. Their leading rusher only rushing for twenty-two yards. There's something to be said about a team just going for it too. So as good as Fitzpatrick is, all credit to him. I just think the mindset with him in there and what Dirk Cutter is doing is the best part about all this because they're just going for it. They're like, whatever, we have to take our shots, and that's the only chance we have to win. And they're hitting them early. So I think. Tampa Bay just not playing this stubborn, boring style more than anything has got to be what gets people the most going about them. Well, they have the second most points in the league right now. So that tells you a little bit about the way they're playing. And they have to. I mean, like you said, I mean, their defense is not great. And they have no running game. They have these weapons on offense. But they're not even that great of weapons either. I mean, Deshaun Jackson, he's good. But if I'm not mistaken, he's in his 30s. And Chris Godwin, I mean, they don't have these great players. But they keep hitting these, like, 75-yard touchdowns. I mean, they had two 75-yard touchdowns in that game. They had, I think— How likely is that to happen every— (laughs) No, against the Saints, it was, like, seven— At least it was somewhere between seven and ten plays of, like, 20 to 30-yard chunk plays. I think it worries me that they don't have a running game. I think it definitely is going to be something that they need to do because you're going to have teams that are going to be able to back off. They're going to have good secondaries. But it goes back to our initial conversation with the rules. You have the ability to favor these offenses with the rules, and Tampa Bay is taking advantage of it. And it's funny because everyone was all about Tampa Bay a couple of years ago. I think it was the year they were on hard knocks. Everyone was really into them, thought they'd be really good, and they were awful. And then they made a coaching change because I think they got rid of Lovey Smith and replaced him with Dirk Cutter. And now all of a sudden, they're what we thought they were going to be a couple of years ago, which is interesting considering that it's Fitzpatrick and not Winston. So does that tell us a little bit about Winston and how mm-hmm. maybe he's the guy that was doing too much and wasn't being the quarterback that they needed? Because I think that's what we're seeing. Short answer for me, yes. I don't think he was playing that well. He clearly doesn't appear to be a great leader. And now you're starting to see the last part of this puzzle, why I don't think Fitzpatrick, unless it's some catastrophic games, is going to give this job back. Mm-hmm. His teammates are standing up and saying Fitzpatrick should be the guy. They love him. Deshaun Jackson, he's the guy. He, he compared it to NBA Jam and how hot he was. I, you can't. Exactly. And I, who, who knew that Deshaun Jackson would be the voice of reason? I think that's the most stunning yeah. revelation of the season. But it's true. Why would you take away something that's working? When your job as a coach, as a front office, is to win games. Even if you don't end up winning the next couple games and you're 2-2 two and two when Winston comes back, I still think that's better than what you thought you were going to be in those four games. Mm-hmm. So I, st- I still think you stick with him just because you don't want to lose that locker room. And no. it's very possible you get a guy that in Winston that might be a little bit more about himself trying to prove how good he is and how the team missed him. And I think that would hurt them. 
it's crazy. But Tampa Bay is rolling, and they're rolling behind Ryan Fitzpatrick. So we'll see what happens. Still yeah. chatting with Brandon Marcus on the Money Mitch Effect, NFL Week 2. Every year, it seems like twice a year, I should say, there's that big showdown between the Falcons and the Panthers, sometimes even more if they meet in the playoffs. Falcons won this one. Both teams now 1-1 one one on the season. So I'll ask you this. What, if anything, did you learn from this go-round of Falcons-Panthers? Did you come away thinking anything differently about either of these teams? I actually got a chance to cut this game, so I watched this entire game, and I think what we learned is that Atlanta actually does have a red zone offense. Wow. And, and they can actually score in the red zone. I think that's what the biggest revelation is and that Tevin Coleman is very good at football and Atlanta does not really lose a step with Devontae Freeman out. Um, and I think that Atlanta has a good team. And I think we learned that Carolina has a good team. I mean, I, I think that both these teams are very similar. Um, Carolina obviously is a team that relies a lot on Cam Newton. And I think they need to do a little bit more um, to kind of get their other wide receivers involved. I mean, guys like Devin Funchish should be more prominent than they actually are. Mm -hmm. But in the end, I mean, it hurts that they don't have Greg Olson anymore. There's yeah. no doubt about that. But both these teams have very good offenses, and it's just about the defenses. I mean, Atlanta lost a couple of key defenders, but it's still a team that was in the Super Bowl two years ago. And Luke Keekley is the guy that really just runs the entire deep for Carolina, and he still looks really good even though I'm terrified that one more hit to him and he's done. Yeah. You never want to see that. Speaking of hits, that hit on Cam Newton was just ridiculous. And Dude, uh, I'm not one so for bad. I'm not one for throwing guys out normally, but that was well warranted. Kyle deserved to get ejected there. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think this said more about the Falcons. They were at home. They were expected to win this game, and they did. And they got Calvin Ridley involved, which you need to do. It can't just be Julio when they go and get stuff. Teams yep. will eventually start to double and triple team. And you brought him up. Tevin Coleman might be the guy. I'm, I'm starting to think maybe he should be the primary back. I know it's early. I know we're not sure with Freeman, but he looks, like you said, very, very good at football. And if he has to be the bell cow, by all means, I, he can do it. So Yeah, he has the ability to. And this kid, Ito Smith, is not bad either. Um, so they, they have the ability to be a pretty good offense, which we've seen in previous years. It's just about Sark with the play calling. And, uh, I mean, they got really involved. And they got really involved early and often, which was good to see. And they're still a team that should be a force to reckon with. I don't know what's going to happen in that NFC South. That's going to be fun. I think that's going to be the best division to watch all year. I would throw that with the AFC West. I think that's going to be very fascinating, too. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's right up yeah. there. Um, I guess we have to talk about the last team in the NFC South that we haven't mentioned yet. The, the, the team that gave up just... 48 points to the Buccaneers. Yeah, we will. Uh, I guess we have to talk about that game. Um, what, what did you think about this game? And then I'll share my thoughts. But Saints-Browns, um, yeah, 21-18 final. I think that Zane Gonzalez needs to uh, actually talk to his coach next time he has an injury because he cost his team a win. All right. Let me just gather my thoughts here. And, and yes, try to, and do try it. That was ridiculous. That was as poor a kicking performance as I've ever seen. But I'm not pinning the whole loss on him. I think at the end of the game, even if he makes that extra point, the Browns are still going to lose based on some terrible decision-making regarding both sides of the ball. Problem one being, I want to give props to the defense. They played well early, and, and for most of the game, they were doing a great job keeping their putrid offense in it. Mm -hmm. But what it, if you saw this game, Brandon, the, the average football fan saw that the Saints had exactly two players that could hurt them. 
Kamara and Michael Thomas, and no real adjustments were made. The Saints got back into this game by continuing to feed the rock to Kamara and Thomas just killing their secondary. So that, that was a little disheartening, but okay, I get it. You know, the defense didn't play bad. That might be nitpicking. This Browns offense is going to give me an ulcer by the end of the season if it keeps going the way it is. And I'm not just saying with Tyrod Taylor in the game, but yeah. some of the play calling, some of the decisions, they get ultra-conservative, and then they decide to randomly just open it up. Tyrod throws a terrible pick, it seems like, once a game in the fourth quarter. They get to third and short, and that's when they decide to bootleg rollout. I'm, I'm just I'm trying to figure out what their offensive identity is. You're up 12-3. to three. You have a chance, even with a bad kicker, to put this game away, and, and they couldn't do it. So... Yeah, the kicking sucked. It was awful. I'm glad there's a new kicker in there. But if people think just kicking is the only issue on this Browns team, I think they're very mistaken. Yeah, I think they have forgotten about Duke Johnson a little bit. Exactly. And and he's a guy that really would help their offense a lot because he can run the ball. And also, more importantly, he was really good as a receiver last year. And they need to utilize him more, especially with Josh Gordon gone. They, They need to have more guys step up. And... On the other side of the ball, no guy really scares you on that defense in the secondary. Denzel Ward could be that guy. But not yet. I don't think that guy yet. And so when you have a guy like Michael Thomas that's eating you alive, it worries me from top to bottom, really, with that Cleveland team. I mean, we saw a lot of stuff on hard knocks. And I think the most concerning thing was it seemed like the coaches really were not on the same page. No, no, they're not. That's a major problem. And it seems like... Hugh doesn't get really along really well with his coaches, and it seems like he's being pushed around a little bit. I, I don't love what I'm seeing chemistry-wise there, and that never is a recipe for success. I just don't think anybody in their right mind thought that the Browns could sit on a 12-3 lead against the Saints at home and win oh, the game. Of course not. So that's that's where I'm at. But look, they're better. They're more competitive. Win should come hopefully starting this Thursday, but they're definitely not an embarrassment anymore. Um, they need to win that game. I think they're favored to win that game because that's in Cleveland. I just want to say, yeah, I can't remember the last time they were favorites, so I just want to toast to that this week. That, that's scary. It is kind of scary. Uh, the Josh Gordon trade, quickly, uh, I don't want to dwell on this too much, but all I'll say is it, it, it hurts at first to kind of see you're kind of shell-shocked that you're going to get rid of a skill guy that has this much talent, but can you really blame a team for cutting bait with an unreliable guy that they've given this many chances to? I, I'm not saying that who they traded him to doesn't still sting, and, and regardless of what the asking price could have been, but I'm, I'm all for running out of chances with certain players. Uh, yes, especially when we were just talking about the chemistry stuff. It, it does get to a point where there's a guy that may have all the talent in the world, but clearly does not have it all put together. And Michael Silver was pretty vocal about when the move was made on NFL Network saying how this guy just doesn't have it together. And it just does he just doesn't have it together. So what's the point for the Patriots? Yeah, you weren't going to give him a long term deal, uh the Browns. No. So they weren't they were going to cut him anyway. A fifth round pick is a fifth round pick. If you want to nitpick, maybe other teams could have gotten in there. It's a low risk that's the key. I think that's the key of this whole entire yeah. thing is you're going to tell me that no other team that needed a receiver would give up a fourth-round pick? Yeah, and it's a little risk for the Patriots who are or just as likely to cut him in a couple weeks as he is to just go off. So I, yeah, they don't I need get him. that. I, I get the, the, the low-risk gamble there. The one thing that's getting me going through this season, though, in addition to maybe the Browns having some potential, is how bad the Steelers have looked and just oh. all the self-destruction going on there. The Chiefs win. We talked about Mahomes looking great, and the Chiefs are, are in position to – to do some damage in the AFC, but 
the talk of this one is the Steelers because it's not just what's on the field, it's what's off the field. Antonio Brown's fighting with some fans, not showing up for practice. Le'Veon Bell is still probably going to hold out to week 10 or 11. They're in disarray, and I think if you go even with the eye test, talent-wise, they don't have it, in, at least in my perspective, what they've had in, the, in years past. Defensively, this is not the same team. No, not even close. And that's the problem is that we've known the Steelers for years and years and years with the Joey Porters and the Ike Taylors and guys that are just nasty defensively, Troy Palomalu. And now they don't really have many of those guys. I mean, I can sit here today and tell you that I cannot name more than one or two guys in their defense, which is a problem for a team that needs a defense when guys like Bell aren't there. But I got to tell you, John, James Conner's been great. And he has. He, he's been nice, a nice film. You can't film. really blame Bell for the reason why they're struggling because Conner's given them exactly what they need in the running game. But Ben looks good and bad. Just depends on the throw and depends on the play. But, yeah, the defense hasn't been good enough. And it's another time where off the field, chemistry issues, you worry about that. Right. And whether it's going to be carrying over into the locker room and onto the field. Right, Ben doesn't look as bad as, say, Eli Manning in terms of being old and maybe oh, yeah. washed up, but right. he's not as good as he was to where your defense can consistently give up 27-30 and mm-hmm. they'll be okay. It just isn't going to work. Um, with the Bengals looking solid-ish, new offensive coordinator, I don't. I, we always say all oh, the Steelers are figured out. There's no guarantee this year. In fact, I would be inclined to think one of the other teams gets them based on just what I've seen with the eye test. Again, they could figure it out, but I don't know. I think the AFC is very fascinating, and, and with that on cue, we have to talk about what was the, the CBS game of the week, the Jaguars and the Patriots. Clearly the Pats are, are never dead. They're going to be around. They, they always have time to write the ship. But this was, by all accounts, a statement game for the Jaguars one way or the other, and they made their statement, and they proved that they're here to stay atop the AFC defensively is one thing they've always had a great defense but i gotta tip my cap to blake bortles he's never looked better he hasn't and uh that's my other game that i had this week so i got a chance to watch that one uh closely and i think the best thing was afterwards um when they were talking about bortles in the press conference i mean the head coach came to play and he was saying you know what you guys are going to go in the media and you're going to praise him today and then you're going to go and judge him again tomorrow because that's just what you do. And he's spot on. I mean, Doug Marone knows what he's talking about with how everyone treats Blake Bortles. This is a guy that was one win away from getting this team to the Super Bowl. Fourth quarter and now, Exactly. And he is now leading this team again to a 2-0 record. It, it doesn't take – I mean, it takes more than a schlub to get this team – to the playoffs and Bortles has done a really nice job sure he has not had great passes at times but listen he does it with his legs everyone forgets that he makes a lot of plays with his legs whether it's avoiding sacks or throwing on the run or running for first downs and also it seems like his teammates like him I mean Keelan Cole was tremendous in that game and D.D. Westbrook a ton of talent so they've got the talent they didn't even have Fournette in that game and they still beat the Patriots yeah, I think part of it, too, that's shocking is that the Jaguars without Fournette, are they like 4-1 and one or something along the line? I think they might be 4-0. Oh. It, it's, it's and crazy. that means that it's all Bortles. It is. It, 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 he steps up. I, I don't want to sell Fournette short. They have a very good backup in TJ Yeldon who can step yeah, in. But guys, guys shoulder more of the load when they have to. 
right? And that's what it means. It means that Bortles knows he has to raise his game when Fournette's out. That defense is scary, man. I, I just I have to keep saying it because what they did to New England was essentially bully all of their receivers, including a little bit of Gronk. I know it takes a couple guys to do that, but the Pats, that's a team they don't want to see. I know the Pats can figure it out. Gordon might step in and be amazing. Belichick will make his adjustments, but I, I, there's no way that given, given a free gauntlet of who you could play in the AFC, they want to see that team again. They're a physical team, and they're a fast team. So defensively, they're able to keep up with New England. I mean, Chris Hogan was very quiet till the end of the game. I know he had two touchdowns, but he was very quiet. Gronk, I think, was only targeted four times the entire game. One of the times he should have had a catch, but it, you had someone pulling out his jersey, and they didn't call it. And so that's just the way they play Gronk. You've got to play him physical, and they did. I mean, I think the first play of the game, when Brady would drop back to pass, they shoved him to the ground after he threw the ball away. I mean, that, that's what you have to do. You have to get in their faces, and nobody has done it better recently than Jacksonville. And their team is going to get after you and put pressure on you. And you have Calais Campbell, who is a guy that's a pretty great veteran presence. And Jalen Ramsey will talk all he wants, but he backs it up. They're great. They're really fun to watch. They are. They are clearly the class of the AFC South and, and making inroads toward being that next AFC top team. Brandon Marcus, Money Mitch Effect, still talking week two of the NFL. Question for you. I know it's early and they haven't really played the toughest competition, but you make that argument the Rams are the best team in football? Yeah. <laughs> Scary, yeah. man. That offense yeah. is, is sweet to look at. <laughs> they have been, though. I mean, they were last year, too. It's just that they keep adding guys to their defense. <laughs> I mean, yeah. they you forget have, about Sue. Like, that's insane is that we were talking about this last week. You physically forget he's on their team, and that's a frightening concept. Sue and Aaron Donald in your front three? Are you kidding me? I mean, they have one of the – they have probably the best front three with Brockers there too in all of the NFL. And then their secondary is now really good. I mean, they kept adding pieces to that too. And I think their only weakness now is their linebackers a little bit which means that pass-catching running backs and tight ends might be able, to, be able to do a little bit against them. But nonetheless, I mean, this team is going to score as much as they want on you. It doesn't matter who the receiver is, whether it's Woods or it's Cup or it's Cooks. I mean, they're all great, and then Gurley has cramps, and he still gets three <laughs> touchdowns. I mean, they're they're unreal. Yeah, that was bully ball. I mean, they didn't let the Cardinals cross midfield to the end of the game. It looked this like this weekend it, will be good. This weekend will be will. really, it'll it be will. a good. Test. The LA battle against the Chargers will be good. I do think the Wade Phillips deserves a ton of credit. We know McVay is awesome, the photogenic memory and just being a, a whiz kid on offense. But you need Wade Phillips to manage all these egos, and he's done a great job so far. I think you need somebody like that, a younger, more brash D coordinator. Probably wouldn't do as well with these guys, and, and Wade's just got them all clicking so gotta gotta talk there and give credit by the way to mcveigh for not stepping on wade phillips toes and just right. letting him run the defense i mean we saw last year that when the rams defense was on the field mcveigh was talking to Goff and sitting on the bench with him not even worrying about what was going on with his defense because he mm -hmm. trusts wade phillips to just have complete control so before i let you go i want to just Get your thoughts on some other things in the league, Brandon. Um, first off, have you ever heard about a player retiring at halftime before? How bad is that? That's bad. Look, and I, I understand that it, it sucks for a veteran athlete to realize in their own mind that they don't have it anymore. 
dude, play the final 30 minutes and then hang can't it up. can't give up on your teammates. I, I just, you cannot do it. The There's silo. no defending that no matter what happens. You were losing bad and you quit. That's that's not retiring. That's quitting. So that's, um, I mean, I know unless, unless you've really been there with teammates before, you probably don't fully grasp what that's like. But I get... I get all the hot reactions about players being mad and, and former players being just irate because you can't quit in the middle of a game. That's like one of the first rules you learn about playing sports as a kid. Yeah, and if you can't go out there and compete for the second half, at least go out on the sidelines and be there for the other right, young Bare minimum, guys. for sure. Yeah, just be there for them and help them and coach them through a game like this where you're getting your ass kicked and teach these guys that these moments happen. I mean, for as good as Vontae Davis was with the Colts and the Dolphins, be better than that. Yeah, it's embarrassing. That's the only way I can put it. I hate to say that. I hate to really just you know say that about any pro athlete, but it's all the word. It's the only word that comes to mind is embarrassing. The rest of the teams we haven't talked about, maybe Brandon, that have won some games. Who's been a pleasant surprise for you? We know we mentioned Tampa Bay. Dolphins. <laughs> you read my mind. How are they two and up? They beat the Titans in that seven-hour game, and then they beat a Jets team that everybody was all over and slobbering over Sam Darnold. I mean, they're doing it the the interesting way. I mean, they're not doing a ton on the field that will wow you, but they're getting it done. And uh, kudos to them. Kudos to Adam Gase. Ryan Tannehill, I can't believe, is in like his seventh year, and it still feels like we're treating him like a rookie to see what he's going to do on the field, but he needs to put up or shut up. And so far they are 2-0. and I got to give a shout-out to the Broncos because this is this is textbook Broncos roadmap to the playoffs, right? We talk about all the other high-flying offenses, and Case Keenum just puts together solid drives. They got Lindsey, an undrafted r- rookie running back, and that mm-hmm. defense just leads the way. They win a lot of close games. I could see them 10-6, and six, maybe even 11-5 and five with how this defense has been playing. Yeah, they're 2-0 at home, so we'll see what happens when they actually right. go on the road. Um, I think that'll have a little bit of an impact going on the road. But then again, they have Case Keenum. And you know what's funny about this? It, with Philip Lindsay that you bring up, that's why everyone was a little concerned with the Giants for drafting Saquon Barkley with <laughs> yep. that two pick. Because you can go and get a guy like Philip Lindsay, and he will rush for the third most yards, whatever it is, after two weeks, and he'll be a non-drafted free agent, but the quarterback, you don't really see an undrafted quarterback go and lead the team to the Super Bowl unless it's Kurt Warner or something. I mean, it doesn't happen very often. You need to draft your quarterback, and you need to normally draft him pretty high. And in this case, the Giants had a chance to draft Eli's backup and got Saquon Barkley instead, and now you're seeing what happens with a team like Denver that doesn't draft a running back high I mean, they drafted Royce Freeman, and we'll see what happens with him. But Philip Lindsay has been great. Leading rusher in the league, Niners, Matt Breda, 92 yards a game. Yep. So I just want just to point that out. That's what rushing production is right now in the NFL. Yeah. I, uh, exactly. Who would have thought that? I mean, they, si- they signed Jarek McKinnon, but all of a sudden it's Matt Breda that's leading the league in rushing. And then you have guys like James Conner. And uh, Philip Lindsay, just exactly what we expected after two weeks. I do want to say it's good to see Andrew Luck back. I know he's still throwing some picks and isn't quite 100% yet, but they get the win over Washington. He's starting to show flashes of him being back. So I, I think that's pretty cool. And also, we didn't mention that game. 
big big coaching uh, coaching win I would say that's all I caught for Mike Vrabel in Tennessee they stole that game that was a great job coaching a terrible job on the other side by Bill O'Brien but without Mariota to win that game and use all the tricks in the tool bag I think that was that was a great job there I thought they were going to get killed in that game when they didn't have Mariota um, but it's desperate team yeah, it's weird. It's exactly what it is. By the way, you want my uh, my bold prediction? I'm going to say it right now on your Let's podcast. Go. Let's go. Bold prediction is that Pete Carroll leaves Seattle after this year and goes back to USC. <laughs> I I don't hate it. Uh, it's it's hate- a little crazy, but I don't hate it. Here's the only the only issue, right? Is age. Yeah. Uh, is he? Do you? He acts young. I get it. He's jumping up and down on the sideline. He's you know. He drinks a lot of Mountain Dew, I'm assuming, but it doesn't. I, that's a long investment. Is he willing to make that full long commitment? I don't know. Maybe. That's the question. And can, can he bring in a staff where he's ready to hand it off to someone that's not a guy like Sark or Kiffin or something that he mentors somebody that's ready to take over for him? I'll well, be curious. Yeah, that's been his biggest issue. Is right. He it hasn't really had but it concerns guy. me when you look at Seattle. He was on the radio this uh, today talking about Chris Carson, and he said yesterday that Carson didn't get many carries in the second half because he thought he was winded from being on special teams. And then he found out today that Carson was actually pulled off special teams because the special teams coach realized how well Carson was running. I mean, how do you not know that as a head coach that your running back was pulled off special teams so that you could use him more and you don't use him? Seattle has just been a disaster from a personnel standpoint for a while. I agree that they that, have been that was offensively a t- for a while. But they you drafted lose. a running back. You, yeah. Everybody talks about Barkley, and maybe that was a gamble. But Barkley's still a heck of a player in the class of this running back class. They took Penny in the first round with when all those Carson. with all those line pit, with Carson, who they love and they were raving about, with all those line needs on offense, with the defense in shambles, guys holding out, guys maybe having to retire in Cam Chancellor's case. And they took a running back. So I I think he I, – I do agree with this on your point. I think he does have one foot out the door. It's sad to see because that team was so good for so long. But the Legion of Doom is completely nothing now. I mean, that defense is awful. And the offense, just without Doug Baldwin, they have nobody. No. And poor Russell Wilson. I mean, the guy on a different team could be an absolute 12 or 13 game winner. On this team, I mean, I'm terrified for his health, running for his life. Yeah, they might have to do the ship, do the uh, veteran NBA thing, shut him down. I don't know. <laughs> just if they if they go five six games under, just shut him down, save him for his future. Yeah. Bad, but all right, Brandon Marcus, this was fun. Thanks for calling in, and we'll see what happens. Might have to bring you back on for uh, the MLB postseason because I got some thoughts on that. I'm I'm more bullish than I was the last time I talked to you about the squad. Oh boy! All of a sudden, it, it, we're ready for uh, we're ready for the Encarnacion Ramirez Lindor. We're ready for that threesome. Now let's go. He's back. Oh, boy. here we go. <laughs> Not only that, but you know what's in two weeks? Two weeks from now, what's in two weeks? NBA preseason, baby. Oh, we're back. We're back. No, we're not. Not for not for NBA preseason. I'm calling it now. But no, we're almost back. End of the no. end of October, or actually, it's the middle of October. October 16th, I think, is the first game. Oh, well, I will make sure not to set my calendar for that. But Brandon Marcus, the <laughs> pleasure as always. Thanks for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. Hey, great to be on.
Huge thanks to Brandon Marcus. Again, make sure you check out his podcast, Mostly Banner, on all podcast streaming devices and apps. Great breaking down week to the NFL. I'm optimistic. Thursday's game against the Browns. Tomorrow, by the time you're listening to this, is very, very big on the scale of importance. The Browns are favored. Who would have thought? All right, now it's time to talk to Joe Crisali about some hockey. We've already reached preseason. The offseason flew right by. It feels like just yesterday, the Capitals and Vegas were playing in the Stanley Cup final, and now we're ready to start the season, and we're ready with a bang. Eric Carlson traded to the Sharks. Max Pacioretty traded from Can from the Canadians to the Vegas Golden Knights, signing a deal with them. Some other moves to discuss, and we preview a potential trade that involves one Panarin and Joe's favorite hockey team, the Rangers. If that were to happen, we break that down as well. Here's Joe Crisali to talk some hockey now on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, we're a couple weeks away from the start of the NHL season. And with that, bringing back on the show, reoccurring guest friend of the program, Joe Crisali, calling in from Seattle. Joe, thanks for joining the Money Mitch Effect. What's up, Mitch? Always good to talk to you on here. A lot of things we could talk about. It's been a busy couple weeks in the uh, hockey offseason. It's really ramped up. But first off, what's your opinion on one thing? How many weeks? Is, is it six weeks Jalen Ramsey could, could use or six months? How many? How much time before he could play in the NHL? <laughs> before who can play? Jalen Ramsey. He's pretty convinced. It's oh, my goodness. Oh <laughs> I know you goodness. saw that and, and had to just be bad to just be not fuming but just shaking your head. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just going to – they need him to come in and just start talking crap on all the players. Like, oh, Betchkin can't shoot. He doesn't know how to score. Crosby's not the best player in the league. McDavid's slow. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's slow. Yeah. I actually would want to see what he would say about hockey players. It'd be funny. I mean, that's like I, – I think it was half in jest, but, I mean, we all know that that's just ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> It's funny. I mean, it's it's what's gotten him to where he is, and the Jaguars are doing well. But I know most NHL players just had to laugh at those comments. So just wanted to bring it up. It was a lighter moment, and uh, I know PK Subban was one that's like, you got to get out here so I can show you. So hope there's a collaboration in the works at some point. But that would be super, super <laughs> dope. It would be. It would be. All right. It finally happened. Eric Carlson is no longer a senator. The saga is over, at least for this year. Eric Carlson was traded to the San Jose Sharks of all teams. The Sharks move in and make this deal. Doug Wilson gets his man. They get the two-time Norris Trophy winner for a, for a big package of players and picks, but not as deep as you might think. Man, I gotta say, you look at what they gave up, and it was a first-round pick, first-round picks in 2019, 2020, a second-round pick in 19. Chris Tierney, Josh Norris. Rudolph Balsers and Dylan DeMello, not exactly, and a couple of conditional picks, but not exactly what you would think, what I would think a guy like Carlson would go for. Was your re first reaction the same as mine? Did you think, how did San Jose pull this off? My, we definitely had the same reaction when we first saw the trade. I mean, <laughs> Eric Carlson, to me, is the best defenseman in the game, for one. Two... There's no there's no reason for them to do a rush trade like that. And if they were going to trade him and they wanted to get the most out of it, they should have done it months ago when they were talking about it before. Not at the trade deadline, but before that, because you don't want to rush it like the Rangers did. But I was waiting for you to bring the Rangers up. 
you would you would think the return for the best hockey for the best defensive player in the league would be way way more substantial than that. I mean, if you think about trades in any other league, NFL. Look at NFL. Mitchell Trubisky, the trade for the Bears to move up one spot. They gave up what two first round picks, two second round picks. They gave up all that all that nonsense. But the Sharks, a team that's already strong, now they can pair Carlson with Burns. Like, is that like an absolute joke? I mean, I, I for one, I don't even know if they should do that. They should put them on separate lines and Edward spread that Blasek talent out. Is amazing too. Another great defenseman. Yeah, and it, they didn't give up anything. They gave up their first round pick from last year, and it was a late first round pick, so you don't really know with them. And then. The defenseman DeMello was the 20-point scorer, big deal. And Tierney, Tierney's a third liner. And then one of those first-round picks automatically goes to the avalanche from a trade from last season. So now you're looking at a third-line center, a second-line defenseman, a possibly good draft pick, but you don't really know, and then Two draft picks, one a second round pick, one a first round pick. So what do you what did you get for Eric Carlson? You didn't even get something to keep your team stable for the time being. It's not like they acquired someone that they knew was gonna be, Oh my gosh, this is the next guy up. Right. I think the Sharks absolutely hosed the Senators. The Senators screwed the pooch entirely on this one. The crazy thing is, is he hasn't signed his deal, so it is it, it could very well be a rental. But yeah, you make this deal every time for a rental like Eric Carlson, just for the chance to get him to stay. Especially if it's for a whole season, you know. Even if he is a rental, they didn't honestly. They didn't give up that much, right? Because you know that 2019 so, pick isn't going to be much of anything because they're gonna they're going to be drafting probably toward the back end if they do what they think they're going to do. They're going for it now. Yeah, are you telling me that no one else in the league offered a better package? Like Vegas really wanted to get Carlson. I guarantee you Vegas offered them way better of a deal than the Sharks offered them, at least at the trade deadline, you know? Right, yeah. It's... Then And then Vegas goes out, and they're like, you know what, you don't want to give us Carlson, so we're just going to score some more. So they get Max Pacioretty. And they honestly gave up more for Pacioretty than the Sharks had to give up for Carlson. It just doesn't make any sense. I don't know what the Senators are doing either. I think you've got to get a greater return for a player like Carlson. There's just not enough there. You brought it up not to bring up bad wounds, but your first real reaction was, how did the Rangers <laughs> how did they have done a trade comparable to Carlson in terms of uh, return value? So I just want to, so, just want so to point that out. When I, my initial rash, you know my reaction. Yeah, my initial reaction was, how in the world did the Rangers get that hose on a player like McDonough? Initially, if you think about it, they gave up Miller, J.P. Miller, who's a great second-line scorer, and he absolutely jumped off the stat sheet as soon as they traded him to Tampa Bay. It was unbelievable. Yep. And then you give him McDonough, who is your best defenseman, and you get in return... Um, Nemesnikov, who was on his last year, they just had to re-sign him, and they only got him on a one-year deal, so that's sick. And then they got two young defensemen who could be very good, and then their other trade with Boston, they got another defenseman, Lindgren. So the prospects, I, I mean, I think the prospects that the Rangers got in return are way, way better value than 
what Ottawa got for Carlson. I mean, what they got for Carlson was just absolutely absurd. It was just absurd. If you put those two trades next to each other, you have the Rangers giving up a lot based off of their team and what those players do for them. And everything else that they got in return actually had a little bit of promise. It wasn't like, here's a player, good luck. And that's kind of what I feel like the Sharks deal to Ottawa was. Here's a couple players, good luck. Like we know they're not going to do anything for you, but at that, have a good time. At that point, you I would just wait until the trade deadline. If the offers, and we don't know what they were offered, but if you weren't getting better than that, then just wait. I mean, come on, like it's Carlson's. It's, Carlson could show up in sense. February and help you out. Doesn't need to fit into any system. He is the system, and I think you don't take this deal now. It's just it's incredible to me. I just guess what I was getting at before is if the Rangers. If that's what they got for that, right? They at least got a player or two in return that you can say, okay, we can build around this player. Mm-hmm. We really like this guy. And that was for McDonough, who isn't even ranked in the top 20 defensemen in the NHL, which I later found out. But for what he did for the Rangers, what he did for the Rangers, I'll give it to him. But uh, yeah, the return for Carlson just, as, it's going to blow my mind because even more, even more because now the Sharks are going to be even better and it's not like they weren't a team that was already contending. So now you add in the best defensive player in the league to an already elite defensive group, it's just going to be chaos because now you have Vegas over there acquiring all this all this talent. And to get Pacioretty, they were like, screw you, Tatar. You didn't do anything for us. We're, we're, we're mad we gave up those three picks for you. I love that. We're going to get to that in a second. I do want to say the Senators are just, they're, they're going to be bad for a long time. They may not be in Ottawa for as, for that much longer, unfortunately. It's a mess right there. The Sharks are, are in this specific division is just unbelievably deep now. It kind of did a topsy-turvy move that you see in the NFL where a couple years ago it was one of the weaker divisions, and now it might be one of the strongest. I, the first thing I thought about from a hockey standpoint, Joe, was how much how disgusting their power play is going to be. Because now you don't. So the thing about it is Brett Burns, and I love him, and I think he's just maybe the most unconventional player in the NHL, but still very effective. You can see his minutes slightly go down. You could see him not have to go up against some top players of offensive players on the other team. He's going to be able to slide over on that power play and not have to play on the point, maybe play on the half wall to talk more hockey, you know, X's and O's. The power play is going to be <laughs> disgusting. Like, it's going, to be, it's going to be nasty. It's going to be Kator, Pavelski, probably Carlson, Burns. You can have Edward Vlasic out there, too. You can throw in another forward, maybe Hurdle. It's going to be just stupid how good it's going to be. I, I, that, that's got me drooling, and I'm not even a Sharks fan. <laughs> I honestly... I didn't even think of that, that they're able to slide Burns over. Wow. It's just gonna Not be... only are they going to be able to do that, like hockey, as you, like, you know, as much as everybody else does, it's a grueling sport and it wears on your body as it goes. And Burns is one of the toughest people in the game. So you know his body is going to be hurting towards the end of the season. But now you've got Carlson in there, and like you said, they can make some adjustments and get him into more comfortable positions. It's, he's not going to be... As you don't have to, be, have to be as worried about him wearing down as quickly. Forgot Joe Thornton, who obviously you know was banged up last year, but still gives him some passing. And Evander Kane. I mean, come on, <laughs> come on. Oh yeah, they just <laughs> traded for Evander Kane. This, oh no. This team is going to be. This team is going to be so good for so long. 
Um, as long as Carlson stays. Now, they, they may not be able to sign him. He may go elsewhere, but this is a risk you take. As we said, draft picks, you don't know. They're not going to be bad. They didn't give up that much. Wow. Um, that's all I could say. Joe Crisali on the Money Mitch effect. I do want to say okay. the Pacific Division, not going to be a cakewalk. Very deep. You mentioned Vegas trading for Pacioretty. I love that move because they went for it with Tatar. They made the final, but he didn't really do much. So they say, okay, well, we gave up all this. We can flip it into Pacioretty and sign him. That was the big deal. Pacioretty signs for a pretty fair deal. So I like this move a lot, and I think that's exactly what they needed to replace James Neal and to give themselves some long-term stability at scoring. Yeah, I really like the Pacioretty deal because he's one of the, he, at least two years ago, was one of the premier goal scorers in the league, and Vegas was already putting up points as it was last year now that it's gonna they're gonna be able to do it even more this year but i just want to quickly go back to before and how funny it was that you and me were just rambling on and on about the sharks and we were just completely forgetting all the other players that were on their team and then you just keep going down the list and you're like oh my god how did this team get so stacked and then here we are it is insane it is insane i i it's kind of what the NHL is, though. You forget how deep some of these teams are when, when they make splashes and get other players, and you think, oh, why would you give up so much? Well, if you have a lot in the tank, look at, Tam- look at Tampa Bay, look at Washington, even Pittsburgh. These teams were a couple players away. You know, Tampa hasn't won, but Washington and Pittsburgh have, and they had to make those moves to go over the top and make deals. And, and if you're this close to winning a cup, as Vegas is, they proved that last year, you can't just stand pat. Everybody... A lot of teams, you could argue, maybe all but one or two in this division, Joe, got better. Vegas just couldn't afford to sit around either. Yeah, and Anaheim is just sitting there like, uh, do we still have Niedermeyer? Like, what's going on? Like, are we going to do anything over here? Are we just going to keep watching all this happen in front of us? Pacioretty's deal Dang, is dude. four years, seven mil a year, roughly, you know, balancing it out. That's great value. This guy's a top 10 to 20 scorer every year. I'm a fan. I'm a fan of this deal. Yeah, it was definitely a good deal. And and the return for Montreal, obviously, like we said before, they get the tar. But getting Nick Suzuki was the big the big piece right. for them. And like I was talking about before, if you're going to trade one of the premier players on your team, you're going to want to get at least somebody that you think you can build around. And that was the guy they got from Vegas. So kudos to them. Montreal is in full rebuild mode. This makes more sense to me than what Ottawa is doing because Pacioretty isn't Carlson, and they did get they got a they got a highly prized skill young guy in Suzuki. It's just a shame all the talent they've had to trade the last couple of years. And you got to think, man, I'm not one for demanding trades, but if you're Carey Price, you got to get out of there. Yeah, he's oh man, his last couple of years he's had there, he's been killed with riddled with injuries, and when he's out there, dude. There's no one. There's no one in front of him. And when they are in front of him, they're directly in front of him, so he can't see anything, and the puck goes in the net. It's really hard to watch him out there because you know he's one of the best goaltenders in the league, and he's stuck. Him and him and Shea Weber are just stuck there. They're stuck. I think they're going to be in uh, in some trouble for a long time. That Atlantic Division. It's like Boston and Tampa Bay and everybody else now. It seems, but. My, oh, my. Vegas is going to be a reckoning crew. And the rest of this division, I do want to spend some time talking about that, Joe, because the Kings had Kovachuk. They have a good depth. They have a good rash of depth. Jeff Carter didn't play for most of last season as well. People also forget that. So they're not going to be pushovers. I like the moves Calgary made. 
bringing in Noah Hannafin, some other players as well. Yeah. They got Goudreau. They Good got young, they got Neil now. They're a very young team. Anaheim is always solid, but did they do enough? And you don't know if Edmonton's going to bounce back. Realistically, Ottawa with their or uh, Phoenix with their new captain Oliver Ekman Larson, who I love, who doesn't get enough respect because he plays for Phoenix. But Phoenix and Vancouver, are the only two teams that I'm going to just cross off now. Everybody else has a chance to make a playoff run. Yeah, it's unbelievable when you go through that list because you know Edmonton's got to flip it around at some point, right? They've got well, they got, they've got Connor McDavid, so you can't cross them off to start a season. Like that's the rule. No, you <laughs> you can't. And now that he's had another year to work with Lucic, so maybe they they start to mesh a little bit better them as a team. Who knows? But it really sucks to see them not win games. And what were they in the playoffs two years ago? And then last year they were just like, oh, never mind, we don't want to do that anymore. So. They really got to step it up. Like all the stuff we were talking about before, all these other teams have all this extra firepower, and they're sit- Edmonton sitting there kind of on par with Calgary, at least to me at this point. I mean, they obviously have a premier player in McDavid, but he can't go out there and, and score every single game. And maybe he could, but he's not going to win you every single game. So they got to figure it out because those steps in front of them are getting wider and wider, and they're not going to be able to get up the stairs. No, I mean, know how tough the we know how tough that that central division is too. So it's going to be a juggernaut. It's going to be a grind to even get to the playoffs in the West this year. But I think, yeah, I think Edmonton's always a fascinating team to watch. What will Vegas do to come back? It's going to be exciting. It really is. Yeah, I'll I mean, you... it's like we're watching the NBA now. The West is just dominating. I'm surprised Phil Kessel wasn't traded. To be honest, didn't you think he'd be moved by now? So you would think, but, I mean, have you seen him? <laughs> I know. Well, you can't, he's the one athlete that you can't look at, and, and <laughs> you can't make any judgments on physical appearance with Phil Kessel. Define, define athlete. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is a fast player with a great shot, one of the best shots that there is. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think we can talk about teams that are around the rise. You know, Washington, I'm – this is going to be very interesting, right? What that hangover looks like, if there is one, and how big it is with the Capitals. Do you think? They'll I mean, still be on it. <laughs> literal, literally, and metaphorically, yes, a hangover. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I bring it up because one, it is kind of funny to bring that up, but also they're also kind of a team, Joe, that's built for the regular season. So in a way, I could see them not really having much of a regular season hangover. And still being a top team regular season wise, and then not really knowing what they have until the playoffs, just because of how they've been in the regular seasons in the past, I feel like they can win games in the regular season with that system, regardless of how they're feeling for the postseason run. I feel like they're going to be the team next year that just skates by. You know, I feel like they're going to win enough games. They're not going to lose enough games, but they're just going to win enough that they'll be able to kind of just get in there. I don't know. I mean, they're they won last year, so you can't really count them out of anything. But I'm definitely, I'm definitely, because uh, we were talking about the East before and talking about how it's not very stacked. That's what I mean. Is Washington can go in there and just play whatever, and they're still going to be in the playoffs, and no one will say anything about it because they'll say we're in the playoffs. But if you look at compared to last year, how good the team was to this year, at least in my prediction, how they're going to play going to be a, a big margin 
Right, and even if they make the playoffs at that in that tough metropolitan division and they don't get home ice or if they're technically one of the last teams in, no one will really care because they've won before. They won I mean they won last year and the NHL's not like other sports. The 8 seed can win the whole thing. So them just getting yeah, in and having a solid season is going to be fine. Yeah, exactly. And it'll it'll be acceptable. So when they lose in the 7th game of the Eastern Conference Finals or something like that. People won't be as mad because they won last year it's and they like, skated in. <laughs> it's like, oh, whatever, who cares? Um, as long as we didn't lose to Buffalo, we're cool. Right. right. The other name that I'm a little worried about, as you might have expected, is Panarin. I, I'm, I have a bad feeling about this. This isn't trending in the I have a Blue Jackets direction. You think all's well or you think he's going to get dealt? Oh, well, because you, you think he wants to go to a big city and you think it's the Rangers, huh? Oh, well, yeah, I feel pretty good about it because I think he wants to be a New York Ranger, and he would fit so well with that team. Oh, baby. Okay. <laughs> All right. We're getting a little <laughs> too, excited, uh, too excited right now, I, I must say. <laughs> but you may have a point. You may have a, uh, a point that he does want to go to these uh, quote-unquote big cities, and I think Columbus is going to try to make this work as they should. They're not going to rush this. But if he's unhappy... They will try to deal him, and you could get quite a haul. And if there's one thing this Columbus front office has shown, it's that they, they can get big hauls for players that want out. We saw it with Ryan Jones for Seth Jones. I mean, that was a guy that wanted out they, more than Panarin, and they got a great defenseman. And what team did they, do they like to trade big players with? Uh, the New York Rangers. I love so, Chicago. Chicago's I, up Nash, there, too. Marion Gabrick. Yeah, there's a lot they're of gonna, trades there. A lot of trades there. They're going to send... I think Panarin, but then if you're the Rangers, you're rebuilding. So what do you want to what do you want to give Columbus? So that's tough. I, that's that's where their leverage takes a hit. Um, but I will say, Kreider would look good as a Blue Jacket. The way he plays, toward Oh would dear love God, him. no way! You want Panarin? We can negotiate Panarin. this right now. This is how negotiations work. Let's negotiate this right now. <laughs> All right, <laughs> not, we're going to negotiate. Not, not just Kreider. Okay, let's do it. It would take more than Kreider, obviously. Look at the numbers. It's going to take more than Chris Kreider for Panarin straight up. What do you want? What do you want? Let's let's do this. A draft pick as well. We're going to throw in a pick, but that roster is just not. And I and I do think you're in a rebuild. And I was going to ask you as well. I mean, this isn't the playoff. You're right. Like we're expecting. You're expecting your Rangers not to make the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, at this point, <laughs> as much as I want them to. <laughs> I think a deal. I think it, ooh, actually, yeah, you know what? I think I want Panarin I would take for Kreider and then probably a defenseman. I wouldn't say, I mean, obviously Shattenkirk's the local guy and he's not going to lead, but Kreider, uh, Brady Shea maybe I could be talked into. I could see Kreider. We'll, we'll keep Kreider on the table here as much as I like Kreider. You don't like Brady? You're not going to throw I don't, us I don't some think, defensive depth. I don't think I don't think Brady Shea is at the level. He's a little above the, the pay grade there. Okay. I'm thinking it's all just one I'm chance to wrap sketch, and now he's above the pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> How about this? How about this? I'll give you Kreider, D'Angelo, and a second rounder hmm. for Panarin. I'm getting there. That's not a bad offer. But you know how this works, right? We are going to it, – it's going to be a try to make this work with Panarin. He led the, he set the franchise record in scoring points, you know. 
So they'll let that work. You're right, though, on one thing. He would fit in so well for the Rangers with their new coach, with that college-style offense. It would be great. It would be great. So, You really think Kreider would have to be – they would have to give up Kreider I th- for Panarin? If you want it now, you could I just mean, roll the dice and wait and try to sign him in the offseason, but I do think it's a, a player of that caliber, yes. It's Panarin. The guy is an all-star. Like We're talking about trading for an all-star. I know you like Kreider, but come on. You don't think Kreider is on par with Panarin? He's maybe a little bit less. Yeah, that's what I mean. But. Like It's going to take that to get in the conversation piece. I do think. We're talking skill-wise. I like Kreider. Obviously, I brought him up in the deal. I know you do. But if you want a player like Panarin, you're going to have to part with somebody that's that high-level, top-line talent-ish. And I think Kreider fits that bill. We'll see, man. It's going to be exciting. I do feel a little bad for Hank. I don't know how much left he has. He's another guy like Carey Price that's in a bad situation right now for an aging goalie. Poor guy. <laughs> Poor guy, man. I just don't know that he... I don't know what the what the long-term future is. I know he wants to be a Ranger. He loves New York. New York clearly loves him, but we'll see. If the Rangers don't flip it around as quick as the Yankees do, um, oh, <laughs> you know... You know, Lund, you're, you're going to feel for Lundqvist. You don't want him sitting back there because like, we, we love him as, as a player. So if it's not in the cards for the, the Rangers to win a cup within the next couple of years, then maybe you look at sending him somewhere where it's possible for him, as much as that sucks. I mean, the Rangers, they got some good young goalies. Georgiev was a beast last year, at least in my eyes. He had a couple bad games, but, I mean, for – how young he is, he looked really good. And they drafted another goalie in the second round this year, and they had Skavsky a couple of years ago, and they've just been piling up those young goalies. So, I mean, I don't want to lose Lundqvist. He's like, if you ask anybody, hey, do you watch hockey? Are you a Rangers fan in, on the East Coast? They'll say, yeah, I like, I like the Rangers. And you'll say, who's your favorite player? 100% of the people would say Henrik Lundqvist. So that would suck to lose him, but you know you got to feel for the guy. It would, it would. I don't know what would hurt you more. Well, that would that would definitely hurt you to see him not win one. But did it hurt more when you heard Brian Cashman say nice things about the Devils? Uh, <laughs> I know you saw those comments where they're building a nice future. Yeah, it, <laughs> I try. I try to read those when they start talking about teams that I don't like. It's very hard. I know. Or if you see like Kevin Hayes. I mean, Kevin Hayes Boston guys, grew up yeah. in Boston. Yeah, yeah there's so Boston the guys, pads. but they're yeah, they're like converted Yankee fans or converted, you know. So you know that they're just doing it for show, but mm-hmm. deep down they absolutely hate wearing the pinstripes. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, last thing, Joe, before I let you go, I want to ask you a point blank question in each conference. Who would you say is sleeper potential to? Let's just say make the playoffs, not to win the whole thing, maybe, but you know to. To make the playoffs for the maybe for the first time in a while, or just a team that people aren't really high on, who do you think they could be? Sleeper teams, wow! It's really hard in the East, dude. It is. Honest. That's why it could be. You can throw anything <laughs> out. I'll say in the West. I'll start with this in the Western Conference, Calgary. Like what All they're right, building. So like I'll, I'll building. go East here. I mean, I'm gonna. I might. I'm gonna shock you with this, though. I think. Maybe before I, I make a sleeper this. in mind too, but go ahead. Who is it? 
I can't even say it though because it's so. No, no, say it because I was going to go out left field too. We might have the same one. Say it. Buffalo. I've had it. <laughs> Perfect, dude. <That's, laughs> I knew you were going to say that. They could make the I mean, playoffs. That division is so bad. It's going to come down to them in Florida for that third spot. The only, dude, it's the only right. It's the only reason that Detroit I said that. Detroit is you, not I mean, good. The Detroit's Can- terrible. Denver just retired. Montreal, we just talked about. Oh. They're rebuilding. They're going to be terrible. Ottawa is half-assing a rebuild. They're going to be terrible. So Buffalo, for me, immediately jumps over all three of those teams. And then there's Florida. And who knows what the hell they're going to do. So yeah, it could be Buffalo, man. Holy crap. So Buffalo in the east, in the west. Hmm. I mean, I like Edmonton, but that one's kind of obvious. And like we talked about, they are stacked against all odds. So mm-hmm. I think I think I would go Dallas. That's a good one. That's a good one. New coach. Sagan's locked up for a long time. It's a good one. I think they could yep. be it for sure. Well, Joe, this was fun. Do wanna do wanna pay our respects to a legend. Legend of the game, legend of hair, Henrik Zetterberg. Going to miss watching him play, watch him skate around out there, hair glistening, just sniping all the way around the rink. Yeah. He was a guy that I would draft every year in fantasy, and everyone would be like, what the hell are you doing? And they're like, he's, he's going to be 90 years old this year. I'm like, well, he's probably going to get 40 points. So, uh, Legendary player. He's pretty automatic. Pretty automatic. Joe Crisali, this was fun. We'll do this again when hockey season's getting going, and uh, I know we both can't wait for that, but thanks for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. Oh, yeah, man. Thanks for having me. This was a fun one. Huge thanks to both guests, Brandon Marcus and Joe Casale, for appearing on today's show. A reminder that you can catch all the episodes of The Money Mitch Effect as well on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. You can leave a rating, review, subscribe, all that and more. Check out the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page and stay with us as well for a spinoff podcast, Running With The Money. Sports Gambling Podcast focuses on college football, covers other topics like that highway robbery and the Triple G Canelo fight. I might be a little bitter when I say that, but I digress. Host, I host that show with Kent Brown and Matt Gothard, two rising stars in the sports media world, as I'm sure you know by now. I'm lucky they're, I'm lucky that I'm a part of it, to be honest, with those guys and that they're willing to do that show. So make sure you catch that as well. Running with the money comes every Friday is when it drops. Another week of college football to talk about this week. What's our moneymaker going to be? Our lock of the week. We're trying to help you. If you're into that sort of thing, make good bets and win money. Check it out. Running with the money. This was the Money Mitch Effect. Until next time, everybody, thanks for listening. And keep, whatever you do, keep enjoying sports.